All right, let's open up to Psalms chapter 23. I don't think I turned this. Oh, I did turn it on. Good. I, I really love this psalm. Uh, sometimes there's like a running joke in pastoral ministry. Whenever you see Psalms 23, that means the pastor didn't prepare anything. But haha, no, no, that is not true. I did prepare this. I love this psalm. I actually subscribed to a theological journal recently. And I did a search on this a few weeks ago, Psalm 23, and there are hundreds of journal entries on this psalm. It's a beautiful psalm for a reason. But I came across a theme recently that I I, I thought was interesting, but sadly it's extra biblical, and it's this new way to study the Bible, and it's studying the Bible in a spatial way, and um, I can't explain it to you because it's hard for me to understand. But sadly, it it tries to change the original meaning of the text. You're going to see this as you continue to grow. If you apply your mind to Bible teaching and you begin to read what other people say about the Scripture, there is a very attractive desire to find something new. It's like people do not understand that the Bible says there is nothing new under the sun. God has revealed what He has revealed to us for a reason, and He repeats those things for a reason. We need the repetition. And what you find is people who are attracted to always find something new are people who are not doing much. That is because they would find all the newness they need in experiences, talking to people, praying for people, seeing answered prayer, seeing how God uses the same scriptures to answer new situations in our lives. But they don't do that. They kind of hold themselves up and just apply their hearts to knowledge, but they don't actually do anything with it. And so they're always trying to find new things. I I have seen some crazy theories that have come out recently about hell. And you read what these people are saying, and you come to find they're not building it off of the Scripture. They're building it off of so-and-so in 2008, and so-and-so in 1970-something wrote this. And there's an attraction to try and find new things. And what I want you to see tonight is that this, this psalm has very timeless truths in it that we're all, I, I, I see great comparisons in each verse to our Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm teaching in the college through 1 John, and th- this book is running through my mind. It is running through my mind. There, there, are so, there are one phrase in a verse is just constantly in my mind, day after day after day, and I love it. I, I I feel like that's one of my favorite books in the New Testament because when you don't look at it like the world looks at it and says this is a test for salvation, but you look at it as a test of fellowship, it it reveals to you how, number one, how easy the Christian life can be if you just stop trying to do everything correctly. If you just simply obey the, the, the simple instructions in 1 John and you do what is said, you'll have the victory in Christian life that you need. And second, the phrase that's in my mind is, from the beginning, from the beginning. John always points it back to Jesus. He says, he said this. I am repeating what he said. And what was happening in his time where people were coming in and telling you new things about Jesus. And John is saying, go to the source, go to the source. I saw the source. This is what he said. Do that. If you say you're doing this, and you say that you're, you're, you're also walking in the light, but you're doing this, that doesn't work. You need to change. And it's refreshing for my students to hear this. It's refreshing for me to see my students hear this and go, 
It's like they're rock climbing and they're, they're struggling for footing and then they find it, they're like, yes, I can put my strength there. I can pull up on that. And it's just a wonderful thing. And so when I looked at this, this psalm, I thought, every verse that I see here, I, I see Jesus. And he is all that I want to see in my life. I get emotional just thinking about it because I know one day when I see him, that's all I'm going to want. But there's such a temptation here on this earth to go so many different directions. Especially when you start to read the writings of other people, you think, wow, that's, that's interesting. Wow, that, that, that seems cool. But none of these other things bring me the comfort that I have when I just think about Jesus. What he's done for me, what he's doing for me right now, and the fact that one day when I die, I'll be with him. And that, that's, that's it. That's all that I really do want. And that was not me 10 years ago when I started studying the Bible at, at Florida Bible College. Uh, it was not how I looked at life. I wanted security. I wanted financial stability. I wanted to be a good uh, husband, be a good friend. Now, the more that I just focus on Jesus, all those other things come into play. And it's, it's just a great place to rest. And that's what I want to show you tonight. So we're going to go just verse by verse, and you're going to want to keep, if, if you have a, uh, I'm telling this to myself, but if you have a bookmark, make sure you leave it in Psalms 23, because we're going to go to the New Testament quite a bit and look at some things here about this, this passage. There's a great book that's written by a man named Philip Keller called A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. I would strongly encourage you to take a look at some of that material. Sadly, he's got a Calvinistic gospel but he makes some great comparisons to shepherding in the Middle East and Psalm 23. That's for another day. But why this psalm is so important is because it shows how God cares for his children. And when you look at the language here, like for example, just follow along with me for a moment here in verse 2. It says green pastures and still waters. In the Middle East, those are hard to come by. So it's not like everybody would, would instantly think of like, oh yeah, right down the corner, the green pasture there. The imagery is different than the imagery that you and I would understand. And it doesn't mean that the imagery we have now is wrong or the imagery that they had was wrong, but what is God trying to say here? He is going to provide provision. You just need to let him be the shepherd and you be the sheep. So many times people want to reverse those roles and they'd be like, I can't see God, where is he? He's behind you. Get behind him. You're running in front of him. Just get behind him and let, let him show you the way. There's another phrase here that I think is very important. Verse 4, uh, the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, surely in the culture of this time, valleys, high mountains, low valleys, those were dangerous places. The imagery was instant there. You could see and understand that. But it doesn't say that they will not be in the valley of death. It says that they will not have to fear why? Because the shepherd's present. So we have all these things in imagery. There's another one here, rod and staff. If you're a good sheep, rod and staff, comforting, comes up against that soft side of the belly, keeps you in line. Hey, you're getting off a little bit, you know, you gotta, you gotta come in. If you're a bad sheep, still a sheep, you're just beating a little more, okay? And you actually look at some of the, the extremes that are gone to with some shepherds, especially in this time, not as much now, but there would be severe punishment for the sheep that constantly would put its life in danger because it wandered off. Well, you can't wander off if your leg is broken. 
And that's, that's extreme, but that's what some shepherds would do to keep those sheep from being a danger to themselves. One of the things, I say this all the time, so you've probably heard me talk about this when we were in Psalm 23. One of the things that kind of make me chuckle is a sheep can eat so well that it will lay down after it is done eating and get a little itch on its back and roll over and will not be able to get back in an upright position. And you may think, oh, that's cute. The little sheep with the little legs, you know, up in the air. It can die very quickly that way. So the shepherd's got to be looking for those sheep that like to graze and then get the little back itch, you know, and make sure that they're not rolling over to their death. That takes care. That takes concern. You look at all these things and, and you realize the imagery that the Holy Spirit is communicating here is that God will take care of his children, the ones who are obedient and the ones who are disobedient. But of course, the one that is great in this verse is or in this chapter is verse six. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. You know what that says here? It doesn't say that goodness and mercy will happen to you all the days of your life, but you'll be followed by it. Why? Because you are in line with the shepherd, you're in line for blessing. You're in line for peace. Yes, you walk through the valley, but you won't have to fear because you've got the one who conquered the valley. And all these different things that we know and understand and you've heard, but I started to think, where can we see Jesus in each one of these? And I want to tell you that the answer is yes. And I hope that you're as excited as I am. Um, look in verse 1, Psalms 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. As a kid, I always used to think, why would I not want God? <laughs> but that's not what that means. It doesn't mean I shall not want him. It means you will have need of nothing because you have him. So hold your spot here and go to the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John, and we're going to be in chapter 10. This is on page 1129 in the Schofield Bible. The verse that we just read is, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. Jesus, on his discourse of the, on the good shepherd, which is all that John 10 is pertaining to, he makes these statements. Look in verse 10. John chapter 10 in verse 11, excuse me. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Skip to verse 14. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. And then we have a great security in verse 28. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. So when you read Psalm 23 and verse 1, and you see the Lord is your shepherd, and you shall not want, you can understand why you do not have a need for anything. Because you have a shepherd that has given his life for you, that knows you and has given you eternal life. That's a great comfort. It's a great comfort in times of stress and difficulty. You can let the Gospel of John go and look in Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. And we'll look at verse number 20. 
on page 1305. The book is coming to a conclusion, and we have this gem stuck right at the end. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. He is our shepherd. He has shed his blood for us. And he is the only shepherd that we need. So now going to verse 2 in Psalms chapter 23, it says, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. There's only one comparison I'd like to draw here, and it's in the book of Revelation in chapter 22. Revelation in chapter 22 in verse 17. Water, always, always important in the desert. I don't mean that as a joke. It is the difference between life and death. When you go to Israel and you have a good tour guide, they will show you and explain how these cities got their water. It's very interesting, especially when you look at these Roman places and how they built aqueducts and all that kind of stuff. It's amazing. But the, the, the use of water as a symbol in Scripture is, is almost always talking about life. Whether it's eternal life or just life here on earth or the maintaining of life, whatever it may be, it's, it's always a, a positive thing. Of course, negatively used when we see it uh, as a judgment of God. For example, the bitter water, the water of the flood. But in Revelation twenty two seventeen, we have this phrase, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. I like to see in Psalms 23, 2, that still water to which we are led by not only gives us eternal life, which is the gospel, but it also sustains us as we walk in this new life. If you ever have a temptation to depart from the gospel onto greater things of God, you need to ask yourself why. The gospel is the very foundation for every aspect of our Christian life. When Jesus says, this command I give unto you, love one another, he says, as I have loved you and given my life for you. Well, there's the gospel right there. Love one another is how people will know that you are a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, who said that? Jesus did in John 13, verses 34 through 35. But this water of life is given freely, and I believe we're led by that water, and it's still water. The gospel can be hard, and it can be difficult, but that's all on how somebody receives it. It's a still river of peace for those who are seeking. Verse 3 of Psalm 22 says this, He restoreth my soul, he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. If you look in Ephesians chapter 3, we'll look at that doxology there at the very end. It's verses 14 through 17 in Ephesians chapter 3. That's a great portion of Scripture to memorize. It says, For this cause 
I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. This is what I want you to focus on. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. That comes by the indwelling Spirit, which comes through faith in Jesus Christ. So when I read Psalm 23, 3, He restoreth my soul, leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake, I see that doxology there in Ephesians. That I can be strengthened by His Spirit to be able to comprehend His love for me and how I should love others. Verse 4 of Psalms 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy, and thy staff, they comfort me. Look in the Gospel of John in chapter 14. John chapter 14. Some great verses here. Especially that pertain to the promises that Jesus gives to those who believe on Him, and also the prophecy of the Holy Spirit that comes. But we're going to start in verse 1 of John 14. Remember, the verse that we had read in Psalms was, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me, Thy rod and Thy staff, they comfort me. John 14.1 says this, Let not your heart be troubled, Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Now we don't have to wait until we get to heaven to experience this presence of God with us at all times. Look in verse 16 of the same chapter. And I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another Comforter, that He may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth Him not, neither knoweth Him, but ye know Him, for He dwelleth with you, and shall be with you. This is the focus. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. The end of Psalm 23, 4 says, For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And la tida, the Holy Spirit is called the Comforter. I love that. That is so reassuring. Yes, the Holy Spirit also convicts me of my sin. But I know that if I respond properly, properly I can be comforted in knowing my sin is paid. There is growth to be made. Of course, consequences can still be a result. I think that's also a form of his rod and staff comforting us in his discipline. But look in 1 Corinthians 15. That's the comfort that we know what's coming. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us on that day, 
when our life is at the end, we can posture on these verses here. 1 Corinthians 15, 55. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord, our great shepherd, Jesus Christ. Isn't that good? And then we have verse 5 in Psalms 23. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. I think about that last one, that word anoint, very specific. Do we have anything in the Bible that tells us about the believer's anointing? We do, and it's in a great spot too, which we don't have time to talk about at length, but we can at least go there. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 20. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 20 gives a great truth, a great truth. And it's a great reminder for Bible teachers too, such as myself, Sunday school teachers, Owana leaders, whatever it may be. And I'll, I'll tell you why that is in a moment. But look in verse 20 of 1 John chapter 2. But ye have an unction or an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. What does this mean? That means the Spirit that dwells within you knows all things, And the more you apply yourself to the Word, you can also know the things that He knows. And verse 27 comes in. But the anointing which ye have received of Him, of Jesus, abideth in you. It remains with you. And ye need not that any man should teach you. So some people would say, and I have heard people say this, and you know, it's a a misunderstanding of the context here. And they say, oh, I I don't need to go to church. I don't need a pastor. Those things don't matter because the Bible says I don't have any need for a man to teach me. But continue on in the verse. But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth and is no lie, and even, it, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. What John is saying is, anybody who teaches you and is a believer is a good teacher when they teach according to this word. So the Holy Spirit's teaching you through that person. We don't have to have somebody teach us something brand new or something different. You find something good when you find a church that teaches from the Bible. That's it. Because that is the Holy Spirit teaching you. When you share the gospel with somebody, you are sharing what the Holy Spirit has revealed into the world. And the Holy Spirit works on that person. They're brought to a point of decision. He doesn't decide for them. He brings them to that point. Will you believe or will you reject? But the truth here is just as we have been anointed, as it says in this passage here, our cup does run over because we have the fullness of God which dwells in us. You don't need something special or extra to understand God's Word. You've got everything you need right here and also with the sealing of the Holy Spirit. That's comforting for people who are looking for the next study Bible. They're looking for the next Bible course. They're looking for the next YouTube channel that's going to unlock the secret things of God. You don't need that. You've got everything you need right here. And then, of course, verse 6 that says, Surely uh, goodness and mercy, Psalm 23, verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You can let Psalm 23 go now, and we're going to end the comparison in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 16. 
commonly accepted amongst many biblical scholars to be some of the last things that Paul ever wrote. Not here to discuss if that's true or not, but if it is, you can see, you can see the man's contentment with his condition. If, if, if we were to do, and maybe we should do a study on the life of Paul, I think that would be amazing. You see a man who viciously fought against the church in pride and self-righteousness, in violence to the extreme, and then you see somebody who got a hold of the truth and died to self. And anything he lived for after that was not for him, but it was for Jesus. Ridiculed, beaten, many people believe when he was stoned outside of Lystra that he died. He saw things that he said he couldn't speak about. But you see some final words here in verses 16 through 18 of 2 Timothy 4 that I think just give you a window into where, how does does, does someone that strong, how does that happen? Verse 16, at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. (laughs) That is comforting. There's Paul's strength, not in himself, but that the Lord stood with him. And strengthened me. So this is also something that the Lord did. He stood with him and strengthened him that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work. Not the government, not the other apostles, not his brothers and sisters in Christ. Everyone left him. But the Lord didn't. He's his good shepherd. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Isn't that a great way to... Let's just say these were the last words that he penned. Man, that just sums it up beautifully. What's the strength of the Christian? Is it within yourself? Is it your ability to endure suffering? Is it your pain tolerance? Is it your ability to grieve quickly? No, the source of our strength should be in Jesus Christ. He's strong enough to carry it. Put it on Him. And let Him... Let Him lead you. And this is what believers cheat themselves on when they try to figure out all their own problems. I can do it. I don't need the church. I don't need your prayers. I don't need your fellowship. I, got, I, I can do it. I'm battle-hardened. Whatever people might say, you're deceiving yourself. You're carrying a load that you don't have to carry. The Bible says that we have a good shepherd in the Lord and we should not have need of anything. Why? Because you've got Him. I can say this until I'm blue in the face, and I will, by the way. I'm going to continue to teach this. It is a great truth. But when it becomes transformative for you is when you apply it to your life. You can close your Bibles here. There's a statement that I want to read to you. It's from Ironside. He's one of my favorite Bible commentators because the man speaks simply. He is not bloated and all this, and he gets some stuff wrong. As a matter of fact, we're using his book in, in our First John studies. He gets some things wrong, but I think he has the gospel clear. His application on some things can be iffy, but he made a great statement that I want to read to you in closing here before I share the gospel. 
He says, you know, there are many Christians who think the Word of God as something to take up an extra hour or so when they have nothing else to do. But one will never grow up that way. What little strength you get from that hour is all used up when you are occupied with other things. You do not get anywhere that way. But when the Word of God is the supreme thing in your life, and everything else is made to fit into that, you will grow and become a strong Christian. Isn't that a great statement? That's what we should all be shooting for. And you build that spiritual strength, so to speak. You build that range of motion spiritually by walking with the Lord in obedience, in following His commands. When you take all that and put it onto yourself, you get weaker because you're trusting in this old man. Nothing good there. We just have to focus on Him. Nothing else. And so that's how I wanted to look at Psalm 23 tonight. I hope it's been a blessing to you. I hope that you can take some of these things and chew, 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 like the cows do, you know, and they got six stomachs. Um, that's an interesting process. Look that up if you want. I'm not going to talk about it here. But they, they really do break down their food. We should be the same way with studying God's Word again and again and again. They say, well, I've read this before. Memorize it. Get to the point where you can start reading chapters in your mind. That would be a really interesting thing. And that would be, I think, a benefit for you. If this hand were to represent you and me, I let my wallet represent sin. I put this on top of my hand because the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God forever in a place called hell. God, he loves us very much, but he hates our sin because it separates us from him. In heaven, there is no sin. You must be absolutely perfect to get in. And many people think they can achieve that perfection by good works. And this is what many religions teach. You listen to Grant's testimony, and you will hear a man who tried to do what his religion told him would get him in, and he knew in his inner mind that he could not do it. And he kept trying and trying and trying. People say, go to church. They say, turn from it. They say, start something new and stop the old. Those things don't pay for sin. Somebody has to die for this. The righteousness of God is not earned by good works, lest any man should boast. This hand represents Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, fully God and fully man. And what Jesus did out of obedience to the Father, excuse me, out of obedience to the Father and love for Him and for us, He took that sin, laid it upon Himself and paid for it. He died and was buried, again, uh, he was buried and rose again three days later. And the promise is, all of those who believe on Him, they simply believe on His finished work, receive as a free gift everlasting life. So when Jesus died on the cross, He paid for everybody's sin. He rose again from the dead and God had accepted that payment. So then why do people end up going to hell if all sin is paid? Because they have not believed on him. That's the key. And I'm going back to Grant's testimony because it's, it's fresh in my mind. You'll hear him say that. He's led people to Christ on this line of thinking. Your sin is already paid. What sends you to hell is unbelief. So when a person puts their trust in Jesus, that sin payment is put to their account. The Bible word is imputed. They are now made righteous before God. The Bible word for that is justified. And they are secured forever. The Bible word for that is, and I give unto them eternal life. 
That's the promise that Jesus says. You believe, you receive everlasting life. So the question remains, will you put your trust in Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection as the full payment for your sin? I can't make that choice for you. You have to choose. And if you do choose to trust Him, then God secures you as His child, your sin is paid, and you have a home in heaven. You now have a shepherd. God is no longer just your creator. He's your father. He's your good shepherd. His blood has bought you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Heads are bowed nicer, closed for those that are watching online. I encourage you right where you are to put your trust in Jesus Christ, to believe on him for everlasting life. The moment that you do, you're passed from death unto life. You'll never be brought into condemnation again. Please reach out to us and let us know. Love to get you some free material. Just talk with you and encourage you. For those of you here in the audience, if you've not put your trust in Christ, the offer is there. I know most of you, I know all of you personally. So I pray that this has been a blessing to you and that it it, it strengthens and reminds you of what we have in Jesus Christ. Don't look for something else. Just look to him. Father, thank you for your word and bring us back here safely on Sunday morning. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.